Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Hey friends, I am back with an interview with S.J. Anderson fellow astrologer, and we discuss the transit of Jupiter and Aries, where Jupiter has recently just ingressed into the fire sign Aries. And we also discuss the upcoming transit of the lunar nodes entering Libra and Aries from where they currently are in Scorpio and Taurus. And that will happen in mid-July 2023. And so we have this Aries activation that this podcast is about in terms of Jupiter's transit there and then the north node following suit. So Jupiter and Aries, we just had Jupiter and Pisces, and that was definitely a transit that was gathering a lot of anticipation and excitement. It was in the traditional astrology world, especially celebrated as Jupiter entering his home sign. You know, if we want to say Jupiter as a he right now, entering Jupiter's home sign, Pisces, domicile, you know, and therefore Jupiter being more powerful in that sign or having more resources. And Jupiter and Pisces to me felt like a very healing experience. One of the things that I had forecasted for Jupiter and Pisces and the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction in Pisces was this particular image of seeing a party or some kind of great celebration or banquet from the perspective of maybe like a tower that one has locked themselves in or felt locked in. Um, And that tower being some kind of crystallized consciousness, maybe something around grief, and that there would be a possibility for some of these things to dissolve or melt during these Jupiter and Pisces activations and transits, a sense of really having a grief process and the healing that comes through that, being able to more clearly see what's holding us back from a sense of unity or deeper connection with life. And then at those moments of breakthrough or miracle or expansion, really feeling into that sea of bliss and oneness, etc. And so Jupiter in Aries is still very fresh. This is actually my first Jupiter and Aries transit that I have experienced with awareness because I first started tracking transits when Jupiter was in, was it Leo? Yeah, Jupiter and Leo, I think, was when I first was starting to tune in. So another fire sign for us. But this is, yeah, my first time self-consciously experiencing Jupiter and Aries and I thought, why not talk to another astrologer who's also an Aries, um, whose work I really love. You know, SJ posts really insightful ideas and delineations of transits on the regular on social media, and I've been wanting to connect with him for a while. 
So we recorded this conversation on May 25th, 2022. We defined the archetypes of Jupiter, Mars, and Aries, and we put together Jupiter and Aries, combining, say, Jupiter and Mars, um, as well as Jupiter and Aries. And once we laid the ground of these archetypal combinations, we had a far-ranging conversation about what themes may be at play in the next few years both between Jupiter's travels through Aries and then the nodes of the moon switching into Libra and Aries. So we also went over, you know, what are the nodes of the moon in case, you know, if you've been listening for a while, you know that the nodes are like my thing and that I love them. But um, we go over that as well. Through this collaboration of this conversation, we were having a lot of spontaneous insights. I especially love what emerged from this conversation around freedom from troubles, a Jupiter concept, and what it takes to get to that type of freedom. I also loved discussing specific ways of actively surrendering as a gateway to having expanded vision. Perhaps you have one of your own practices in this regard, or maybe from this episode, you'll be inspired to develop one. A little bit about SJ before we begin. SJ Anderson was born in Austin, Texas in the early 1980s, not the 1800s, sorry, in the early 1980s, and is currently living abroad. He's studied Hellenistic astrology, Theravada Buddhism, and Shivananda Yoga and is a lifetime member of the International Society of Astrological Research, ESAR. SJ's writing can be found in publications such as Ignota Press, I Am, Infinity Astrological Magazine, and Wellbeing Astrology Guide, and his astrology has appeared in India Times, Daily Express, Mashable, and Yahoo News. You can find out more about his work and services at sjanderson144.com. And now I invite you to enjoy our episode. Hi, everyone. I'm here with SJ Anderson. And the origin of this conversation, you know, we've been connecting on Twitter for a while, um, and I've really been enjoying your posts. You recently shared something about how Aries placements are going to be going on a ride for the next three years because of Jupiter in Aries and then later the nodes switching into Aries and Libra. So I wanted to kind of explore what the nature of these activations are, not just for Aries, right, but the whole collective, as well as maybe expanding our perspective of what Aries is. But before we dive all the way into that, um, I would love to just have you introduce yourself, share with us a little bit about your astrology practice. Okay, great. Thank you, uh, Sabrina, for having me. I'm really honored to be here. And yeah, I've uh, seen you on social media a lot through the years, and I just appreciate your your practice and the energy you bring. And it's um, it's nice to have, um, I, I'm launching into a whole topic here. I'll come to myself in a second, but the idea of kind of a diversity of contemporary practitioners, and we all have different approaches and different inspirations and different models of astrology. So I feel like you're in the backdrop of the traditional revival, you know, carrying a, an, I don't know if you use this label still, but like evolutionary astrology. Uh, carrying, I do, yeah. Okay, you do. Okay. So just having practitioners, contemporary, maybe uh, the younger generation, let's say, or up and coming, you know, I'm happy that you and um, 
my friend Cameron too, I think who I know you know, just that we have you within this mix of the you know modern social media, contemporary social media, astrology that is heavily influenced by the traditional revival. Um, and I'll, I'll just say a little bit by myself, and then you may want to even follow up on that. I'm like taking us now to strange topics and strange lands already. But let me say about me, you know, I'm a uh, I'm an astrologer. I come out of the traditional revival. I um, I my life, I guess what I would say is that I had a spiritual path and journey that I've been on much of my life and astrology came into that at a later time. Um, and, but it was all kind of and, it, and my spiritual life, my spiritual philosophy heavily informs how I delineate and how I use astrology. And so I almost think about astrology as a one component of a tool kit or a toolbox that has other kind of ways to understand being and self and our purpose. Um, but that, so that said, I, I was studying Tarot in about 2011, actually, the last time Jupiter was in Aries is when I began those studies. And that culminated um, several years later when I met Dr. Jim Zart um, on a, an event that had nothing to do with astrology. It was a, other mutual friends. We all went to a festival in Boise, Idaho, and we stayed at this house together and just a couple of conversations with her, not even major conversations. I don't even know if she knew me or, I mean, she knows me and she knows about this now because I brought it up enough when I see her, but I was just like some other guy there basically. And um, she is my initiatrix. That's how I refer to her. Cause after those conversations, I just went down the rabbit hole that astrologers go down where it was kind of full-time obsession and that hasn't left. And now I do a full-time and as a career and, um, you know, my, so there's that part of it. Um, and let's see, the other side is that, yeah, pretty quickly into my studies, I went to the library, read every book I could in the public libraries in Austin, Texas, where I was living at the time, but I've pretty quickly found Chris Brennan, took his course, um, finished it within months. And then basically I, I consider myself a Hellenistic inspired contemporary practitioner is how I frame it. I like to think about all of us as contemporary astrologers. I'm not really much on like the label that someone is doing what they were doing 2000 years ago accurately. Um, it's we're in a whole different milieu technologically and, and some, you know, our understanding of the world and everything. So that's a short answer uh, for what I do. And I like social media. I'm on Twitter and YouTube are my big kind of outlets for publishing uh, my astrological ideas. So. Well, thank you for your thoughts about kind of being this like evolutionary astrologer in the context of, of this Hellenistic revival. It definitely, um, yeah, is a, is a rare form of astrology right now within the astrology community. Um, and I also think it's so cool that you met Jen Zart in a social setting um, and had this opening to astrology after that, because I feel like as astrologers, on the internet, we find so many of us, but in person, in communities, sometimes there's just one of us in a town, it feels like. And so I remember the first time I met an astrologer in person was Ari Moshe when I lived in Olympia, Washington, and that radically changed my life, just to know someone in person in my community who is holding a lineage. Yeah, so I, I just say, no, I... I um... It's it's crazy. It's funny, too, because we all have our own stories, don't we? How when we come into that moment, I think where we it, it, we get bit by the astrology bug is one phrase I've used or we fall into to that. It's like the momentum of our lives and the context. For me, it prepared me for the moment. And then it was off to the races after that. 
But I look back even in the years preceding that meeting, and I was studying the tarot heavily, and there's astrological symbolism in it, but it's just, there's this whole other world of astrology that is not simply thinking about the symbolism of the signs, and, and there's the technical, the historical, all of those things I had no idea about. So that was kind of when I met her, it was, she was like, she said, come look at all of this. And I was like, wow, oh my gosh. And, and then I realized that how much I lacked and how much I needed to catch up. So, And then, yeah, the learning is so quick once we just like get obsessed and there's no turning back. So with Jupiter, we just had Jupiter ingress into Aries, kind of beginning this time period that you're suggesting is this three-year kind of activation for Aries. So maybe to start out with um, Jupiter and Aries and just what you kind of see about that placement. I know that's a very broad question, but. It's a, it's a great question. And I think, you know, what I like to do with planets in signs, um, I really like to break down the planet itself as the first um, step because that is what is being modified or uh, influenced by the sign that it's in. It's the planet itself that's key and what that planet means, what it does, how it functions, what it symbolizes. And so for me, this it really becomes a question of what is Jupiter in the chart? What does it mean in our astrology? And I think it's, it's a planet that has been underserved uh, maybe at times because there is this notion that Jupiter means abundance or Jupiter means expansion. And Sometimes uh, I think it gets left there that it's assumed that Jupiter only has this singular function to kind of add good things. And um, we miss the complexity of the planet. And so I, I guess I'll just start there. One thing I'll say is that um, Jupiter, put simply, maybe here's a few key words that can be broken down, but truth, there's a side to it that's like truth, wisdom. Even in the Vedic school, they've got this idea of guru or guru, and, and which is God, or there's a sense of a spiritual access that can come with Jupiter, which I think jibes quite well with concepts of justice that you find even um, going as far back as the beginning of the tradition and the, and the so-called Western tradition. Uh, and, you know, Justice and truth are two um, things that I think strongly go together with Jupiter, and those aren't easy energies. Those are difficult energies. You're talking about truth. Truth hurts. Truth is revelatory. It's destructive. Um, truth can be very, very difficult to digest. And I, and I think Jupiter brings that to the table. Um, and so there's this component of Jupiter. There is a side of it. I'll just lay a few out here and then we can kind of keep exploring it together. But there's another side of it um, of power. In, in a society. So um, I was, you know, you think about like a priest class, um, usually there's wealth around people that are um, labeled or are perceived as having access to some kind of spiritual truth. Often they get uh, privileges and resources because of that perception. And so things like, you know, the uh, church preacher that has the nice cars or whatever, whatever that might be in a given cultural context. Um, and so this comes in with Jupiter, money, power, access, uh, rank, I think is what Betty is Fallon says is his one key word that he picks is that you get access to kind of higher levels in a society. Um, and that's a complicated thing too, because you know we have a society where uh, questions of privilege are very important to kind of understand oppression and, and structures of oppression. So there's this conversation with Jupiter. 
And then maybe finally, I like just the, the hope. I, and maybe this comes back to spirituality in some sense, but there's a sense of why are we alive? You know, what do we live for? What, what's, what's, um, why are, what's the reason for waking up and for, for going into life and putting our energy into our day to day? And there's something there with Jupiter, because I think for me, at least having a higher level vision of, of what I'm doing here, it's very um, invigorating. There's vitality that flows from that uh, locking in something uh, in this way. And to me, that's Jupiterian, because it's not necessarily detail or orientation. You know, it's some kind of bigger vision or even an identity like as astrologers. I mean, that keeps me going some days like. I'm an astrologer for whatever reason I ended up here. You know, I, I have people that listen to what I say and I want to serve them, you know, I have clients. I've got to be ready to receive people and give them my best, you know, and that's the kind of vision that comes from some kind of higher level arrangement of the self. So those are some three things that I would kind of begin to start this conversation with. Um, I don't know if you have thoughts here from, from your tradition or from your, what you've, how you've accessed this energy, like the Jupiterian, but. Yeah, thank you. That was so just like clear and opening. Like I'm already, my mind was just going in like a thousand, you know, connection directions. I feel that Jupiter, you know, as you were saying, it's not necessarily always an easy experience that truth can hurt or be difficult to digest. And I think um, Jupiter the expansive quality of it can also blow things up to a size that makes them visible, which is confronting. Um, I see Jupiter as well of this higher organizational principle in terms of having vision, seeing the bigger picture, and this can be spiritual and cosmic, and it can also be social. It can be the philosophy of um, ethics of how one ought to live or how a culture ought to be run. Um, depending on the orientation of a person, you know, are they going to access Jupiter more at the social level or more at the cosmic level or some combination or integration of both? I think that Jupiter also can relate to the ways that we, um, you know, it might be more of a, a Mercury-Jupiter dialogue, but I think that both of those together can relate to how we rationalize our beliefs like Jupiter would be the organizing principle or the organizing vision. And then ideas are kind of sorted into that belief system or that perspective. So when it comes to the question of truth with Jupiter, it's also like the philosophical lens of how we're seeing truth that informs what we're capable of taking in versus what extraneous information we kind of fit in or rationalize or not heed because it doesn't fit with the vision. Um, and then what you were saying too about wealth, you know, when I think about Jupiter, I think about opportunity and what gives us opportunity. And so those can be, you know, an invitation from, you know, to an event that changes our lives. It can be having money and the way that money opens up doors. Um, anything that gives us access, as you were saying, and so that sense of that being, um, you know, part of the archetype and then considering how that expresses in the world is really interesting to think about. Yes. And, and 
I'll just add a couple of other ideas that I think are important as we get into this uh, deeper is that Jupiter is the planetary ruler, we might say, or we, we should say, um, in the ancient system of these two mutable signs. And these are signs of change, of change of changing. And so there's something about having you know, access to power, money, uh, access to truth, a vision, a belief system, and um, this kind of hope where we're changing ourselves by, by contact and through contact with the Jupiterian energy. It brings us from one state into another state. And um, that can be discombobulating for people. I mean, when if you, uh, one of my favorite examples along this line is um, winning the lottery. So you hear these stories, people, they change and it can create chaos in the life. You know, Jupiter can sometimes be very hard to digest the change or the truth. Um, and so that's one other component I want to throw in that when we when we work with Jupiter, it often can it's a transformative and, and kind of untethering energy. It's not so much an energy of, you know, staying with, uh, you know, it's an energy of morphing, morph <laughs> morphology. Um, and then the one final component I wanted to throw in here, actually, I'll just say it. Yeah. You know, the exaltation in cancer with Jupiter, I, I, I love thinking about um, the spiritual wisdom that Jupiter can offer as a nurturing, as nurturing, because divinity and the divine and God, I mean, in my, my experience and my opinion, I guess, is that these things can nurture us, like God is love, to, to bring a cliche here. And you think about the love of a mother and the nurturing of a mother. Um, and, and so I think there's something with Jupiter where we can experience some kind of godly, divine, maybe even feminine, archetypical love that comes through the Jupiter energy as well. And, you know, um, you know, I think about when we're so young, it's all mutation, right? You know, we're growing so fast when we're like zero to one to five to seven. I mean, there's, it's like an age of mutation. And if you have the nurturance and, and the support um, of, of this, like a, the Cancerian archetype, it can, it can really support the change. So it's one other thing I've been thinking a lot about. It's that, it's that icon, Mary and Jesus, or you see it in other traditions of the mother energy and the babe. And that this is somehow Jupiterian, the nurturing quality of the Cancerian brings in this Jupiterian, and I think about spiritual truth, spiritual nurturance um, in this context. That is such a beautiful vision. I really, yeah, feel that in terms of nurturance at that young age being such an opportunity in life, right? And the kind of challenges otherwise that come from being malnourished at a young age versus having the world kind of open to you and resources and things given to you. So yeah, that kind of made me think too of like the differing images between kind of someone on a soapbox, like yelling about how, you know, sinners will go to hell and how not nurturing that vibe is essentially versus, you know, someone who's administering truth in a way that helps nurture life and is received in a more cancerian way yeah they are. i've been listening to some leonard cohen recently and he's got this reference to the sermon on the mount in one of his songs and even reading that it's they you know jesus in this story transforms the two fish two fishes into you know hundreds and there's like a feeding that happens and this model of spiritualism or spirituality or even some of the like yogic schools um they spread 
in the sixties, when you study the yoga uh, coming to the West, often it was um, giving people home food and community as a way to kind of um, give the spiritual, uh, creating a container to, so that the message could expand. And I think that that's part of this relation, you know, that you're mentioning here with uh, a loving kind of spiritual expression and community versus maybe one that's more of a fire and brimstone that is terror and all of those things that I mean, I'm like, wow, it's, um, we can go there. I mean, I just say this, the Sag rising and the, the Sibley chart has Sagittarius rising and people have often mentioned that that is a marker of like a fasci- fascistic the Sibley quality chart. to the USA Sibley chart. So the, the chart of America that a lot of astrologers use to the, the birth, the natal chart of America is a Sag rising. Okay. Cancer There's sun. There's been some writing on that's it. That's Sag. Yeah, rising. Cancer sun, Sag rising, and Jupiter in Cancer. But this idea of a kind of fascistic maybe approach to kind of um, sometimes there's a, you know, a patriotism that can go too far or we, and, and I don't, we don't have to go too far down this rabbit hole, but this idea of like the religiosity I'm thinking of, of America, sometimes there's a, a religious conservative in God we trust, and it's maybe not as often this maybe other model at times. So you can find that people come here all over the world. Uh, they want to come to America. Sorry, I'm not in America, but there is this idea of the nurturing America, the, the land of milk and honey that America is. So there's kind of this dual, I don't know, it's it's relevant to what we're talking about. I don't want to, I hesitate to let me just pull back from that because we know really yeah, that would be down. such a can of worms, but it's already getting <laughs> yeah, my mind going, you know. So what about Aries then and Jupiter and Aries? So Aries, this is an interesting um, question and like how to explore a sign of the zodiac. What do we how do we, we even go about that? And for me, the first step is talking about the, the planetary ruler. That's how, I, that's how I like to delineate signs. Um, and then I would use the element, which is fire in this case, and then maybe um, the, mo- the mode. So we have cardinal, cardinal fire. But let's just stay with Mars here, because I think Mar- doing a little bit of a similar breakdown with Mars is, is what I would want to do. And, the, and I won't be, it won't be as long, but the one thing about Mars, and my favorite key word for Aries um, maybe more so than Scorpio, is maverick is the word I like. And this word basically means people that go against the norms of society and kind of break out and have their own vision for how things are or should be. And so there's a there's a maverickism that comes with Aries. There's a distinction in the tradition of, you know, uh, fire signs being of the nature of the daytime a water sign. So the other sign that Mars rules, at least in the ancient system, is Scorpio. So of those two, it's the day energy that Aries brings. And so it's this idea of activities during the daytime where you would kind of choose to go your own way, make decisions that may disappoint people. Um, one other thing about Mars is that it, there's an idea that it's a break, break or sever is the kind of key to understanding the martial nature and that's what happens when you say, no, I don't believe what you're telling me. I'm going to choose this model and, I, and no one has to follow me or people can, but I'm going to do things my own way. This is breaking away from and severing social ties, social order. 
um, in service of this kind of martial impetus. And um, so that's where I, what I would start using to explore Aries. It's cardinal signs are signs of initiation, you know, starting things. Um, I think that the fiery energy of Aries often can come from a place of passion. And it's more immediate to me than Jupiter, the martial energy. It's like in this moment, there's a strong feeling that this is right. The decision's made and then the actions are initiated in Aries. Um, one other thing I'll just say about it is that there can be, actually, I'm going to just leave it there, I think. I'm going to leave it there uh, for now and see what, see what you think about that. Yeah, again, that's such a beautiful breakdown of Aries and Mars. And I think that, you know, I've been on this thread for a while of first just interrogating, you know, I'm an Aries son. I believe you are too, right? Yes, I am. <laughs> and so I love Aries. I've you know, love being an Aries. And what I noticed is that people give me this feedback that I don't seem like an Aries. And so I took it upon myself to just shout out to the world, like I am an Aries, made a whole podcast episode about it. But I was thinking about why do Aries get this feedback of you don't seem like an Aries? What do people think an Aries looks like? Is it because I am, you know, they'll, or they'll be like, you're a chill Aries. Like, yeah. You know, like Aries are just kind of these like fighters and bullies and just like all, you know. And so what's the more subtle edge of Aries that I would want to kind of convey to people? And I feel like it's this sense of initiating and being in touch with the impulses and the moment to moment discovery of this question of who am I? And the way that that ends up looking in the world is not always this jock stereotype. <laughs> it's often a person doing many other things, right? There's just a sense that there's this discovery and a sense of paving a path that hasn't been before. And so there's an inherent, I think, insecurity within Aries too, because life keeps testing us to expand, to do new things. And there's a sense of, you know, having to have the courage to embark on those impulses, also developing the kind of embodiment to be in relationship with impulses and instincts as opposed to repressing them. So I think a lot of Aries will have life experiences that facilitate the development of courage, you know, or Aries, you know, energy can get the feedback from the environment of, oh, that's courageous. You know, if it's not in a conflict situation of like, you know, you're encroaching on me or like you're too much, often it's more inspirational of like how courageous of you or you're giving me permission to be more of myself. Wow. You're speaking my language. Um, it's what I've got my whole life is you don't seem <laughs> like an Aries, you're too chill. And then I, I hear this all the time. Wow. You're so courageous. And I don't, I just think really, I'm just kind of in the flow of what feels right. And, you know, doing, making choices that are, that I feel in alignment with. And, um, so yeah, right on with that. That's, it confirms completely my experience, <laughs> uh, as an Aries son. Um, and yeah, and, and this and this is these two energies, isn't it? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Jupiter and Aries, because I feel like both of the energies have this whole side that is different than the archetype or that is deeper than the archetype that is really the main thrust of the archetype, you know, and I, and I don't get the idea. Of, and of course, we have the warrior of Mars being a warrior, but it's not an unstable warrior. These are warriors that um, are good at being warriors. You know, these are people. This is a Mars 
as a as a warrior that is fighting for a cause for a reason often a leader you see this this is the one thing i was going to say earlier in some of the older texts like valence to go back to valence it's uh, aries is leadership you know and so i think about when when you you know as an aries son or I'll, I'll i'll personalize this i guess if i'm doing what i'm inspired to do and people say hey look at that you know people others might follow you know and so i do think i can see how the aries um energy is one of, of leadership that can breed leaders because these are people doing things that you go back to maverick against the order or the social norm and stepping out and then others say oh it's creating possibilities i love your word discovery i love that hmm. beautiful yeah i think that the you know it's interesting too because it is this sense of leadership that is it could have a rebellious energy, but I think it's often just emerging from this place of this feels right, like it's an instinct. It's not so much a reactionary impulse with Aries. Yes, it's it's a, a, a alignment with a, a, with self that, uh, and then acting from an alignment um, in ways that might be innovative, new, fresh. I think about all the Aries Sun astrologers. It's it's an underappreciated sun sign for our people in our community. I mean, I think Dan Yudder, Dan Rudyar was an Aries sun. Rick Levine what? is an Aries sun. I didn't know that Dan Rudyar was an Aries. He's like one of my astro gods. Yes. Yeah, mine too. I really love Dan Rudyar. Um, and I believe he's an Aries. I'm just going to confirm that here quickly just so I'm not speaking. I'm misspeaking. Yeah, he's 23 March, so the day before my birthday. Um, Rick Levine, you, um, let's see, Ursula, um, and there's a few others. Charm yeah. Torres that you may know. But Rudy Katach. Yeah, so we've got, yeah, it's, it's. I think um, part of being an astrologer is being in an alignment with this passion we have and being willing to say, hey, this is who I am. So many astrologers, I think there's a fear of showing their real name and like assigning an identity and being in the world as an astrologer because of fear of the pushback or the ju judgment. And I feel like us Aries are a little bit more comfortable. We don't care. <laughs> no, we don't care. It's like, just who I am. I'm an astrologer and come one, come all. And, yeah, so. yeah. So then Jupiter and Aries, it's interesting because that gives me a sense of like the teachings or the educational component of like allowing instinct or having a positive relationship, if we're going to look at Jupiter in that positive sense with the impulse and instincts, because that is something that is heavily repressed in a lot of ways, um, even just in a psychological or like embodied system, we receive conditioning starting as children about what the cultural codes are or like what's okay to do, what's not okay to do. And we learn to socialize. We learn to um, fit in, we learn to sit still in class, right? We learn not to jump up and down with our enthusiasm in a situation where that would be deemed inappropriate. Um, and then there's this whole concept that has become popular, which I love about like rewilding. And so that idea of like learning how to have access again, access as a Jupiter word to the Aries experience of instinct um, in a way that's wise and not just, you know, so unhinged that it creates the the damage that would be the fear in the first place. 
Yeah, I love I love that idea of of access to impulse or access to instinct or access to parts of ourselves that may have been uh, removed and and um, as 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 a as maybe a spiritual way or kind of a psychological way into this energy that as Jupiter is now in Aries, you know, we might ask ourselves where, um, where, where is my true instinct? What's my passion really fire signs to me are passion. And that's one of my favorite keywords. What gets me going? What lights my fire to talk to like reference the doors, you know, what is the, um, the flame of life and Jupiter rules Sagittarius, the sun rules Leo, and the sun is exalted in Aries. And so there's something about Jupiter and Aries that brings together all of the fire symbols in our system, or many of those fire symbols, because you get the sun and Mars and Aries and then Jupiter from Sagittarius. And so I, I feel like that is maybe the, the key kind of high level question. What, what is available now, but more importantly, from my own um, need to become myself or to be kind of in alignment and acting from a place of alignment. And so, yeah, I love this idea that you mentioned that one other thing I wanted to say and just bring it back down to some of the maybe mundane astrological um, example. One I want to give here is that uh, 2011 when Jupiter was in Aries last and I'll give those exact dates. This was uh, 6 June 2010. It entered Aries. It left Aries. It re-entered Aries in 2011, January. So around this period was a time that I remember well, I mean, we had had some economic upheaval in America. And this was around the time when I think um, there was a budding kind of sense that maybe that's over. And so the kind of literal economic opportunities that were emergent in that early part of the teens, the 20 teens, is an example of, I think, Jupiter and Aries. And I would bring it back to this moment we're in where we've just had two years of some of the most difficult uh, global events that with coronavirus crisis and the lock, all of that. I mean, who would have thought? I can't believe that we went through that. I, you know, I remember Jupiter in Sagittarius right before all of that happened. And then we get it was into early Pluto 20- Saturn yeah. <laughs> on the horizon. Yeah. And then that changed everything. And so now we've got Jupiter in Aries in a fire sign again, having last been a fi- in a fire sign in Sagittarius in December 2019. So I think I would just say what is available for people right now as we're emerging out of this very restrictive period, what kind of uh, access? So this internal question that we just talked about is maybe the most important, but then there's these external things that might be available to people. Travel is more open than it's ever been. Um, as one example, just that that's, and that's very Jupiterian, going out into the world, exploring, you know, um, I think it's accessible like this technology we have. I mean, just that we're having this conversation is the kind of access that um, we can utilize right now with Jupiter and Aries as, as, as well. So just to come back to those kind of more tangible, practical examples, it's pretty literal astrology, I think, looking back at 2011 and then where we are now with Jupiter and Aries. Mm. Yeah, and I like to you know think about the mundane, you know, the worldly things as well, just so that we have that lens of like what's happening in the global landscape and to see it from a Jupiter and Aries point of view. Um, We're recording this too with the Jupiter-Mars conjunction. I was delineating that in the forecast that I put out yesterday about kind of like 
a sense of, you know, at least with Jupiter and Aries, but I was, when I think about Jupiter and Mars coming together by aspect, um, Rick Tarnas has called that the joyful warrior, the sense of feeling optimistic that you'll be victorious and also being able to rally others around a cause. And I noticed that a lot of my classrooms have, you know, a high population of people with Jupiter Mars aspects, because I think that there's this willingness with Mars or with Aries to pursue these higher visions. Um, and so when it comes to goal setting, we're wanting to like go out into the world or do something courageous that we feel that impulse to do, but is a stretch from our normal way of moving that having that you know, accessing the higher vision around it actually does give us energy and motivation to take meaningful risks. You know, very well said. And I would just add as a component, you know, the house that this is happening can define maybe the topics where a kind of a hopeful action that you're describing could could come into play for, for us in terms of um, our individual charts. But I love this idea. I mean, it's, it, this is the special nature of this moment right now is that it's not just Aries, the nature of Aries to be Marshall and moving out from and Maverick. It's that Mars, the ruler, is right here with Jupiter right today, uh, you know, or they can join, I think, on Saturday. So it's, it's almost like a tripling or 10x, 20x of this, of this moment of the opportunity here to take action, which is a, my favorite keyword for Mars, action. <laughs> Because that's uh, action itself breaks the stasis, you know, of a of a of a moment. You act to remove to to move out from the conditions that were before the action took place. So it's built in. It's these ideas we've already discussed and, and the idea of action. And so yeah, that's what I would just say. I think it's a great time. Mars leaves Aries five July, so they'll be what we call co-present in the Hellenistic system into all of June. And and this is the time. I mean. Um, this month, I think, is a great time to get into some action and, you know, checking in with yourself. Hey, what are my beliefs? And hopefully we've had some time to do that with Jupiter and Pisces. That's the other thing to note just about the, the zodiacal order here. You get this very inner, um, maybe oriented Jupiter and Pisces, the inner life, the kind of truth of what's happening inside, the sea inside, and all of that change that we've just gone through. But now it's time maybe to get to act on some of the, those realizations with Mars here. It's very special. And just to say this might be a good place to bring this in is that um, Jupiter will come back into Pisces on 28 October, all of the month of November. And then on the winter solstice 2022, Jupiter re-enters Aries, but Mars will, won't be with Jupiter then. And so it's really this uh, period, this six weeks of Mars in Aries with Jupiter that we maybe have access to some of the action orientated uh, methods, uh, maybe more so than um, next year, though I still think next year with the sextile from Mars and Gemini, there's a lot of that support still too, as well there for, for a lot of that transit, that second transit, but not quite as potent maybe for action. Hmm. But it's just a little bit of the astrological timing and detail that some people out there might be interested in. Yeah, definitely. Um... So something else that comes to mind that's a lot grittier uh, is basically, you know, we're recording this in, you know, today there's been several recent mass shootings 
um, which is not a new phenomenon, unfortunately. So I wouldn't say it's a specifically Jupiter and Aries thing, but I think it is bringing up a forefront in the conversation about how we envision, you know, what is the conversation around violence and violence being an expression of Mars and Aries, um, both. And one of the conversations that comes up is this sense of policy. What are we going to do about it? And those conversations bring out the side of Jupiter that is very oriented toward social policy and organization. And then there's a philosophy behind it of like, well, what's the root issue or what is actually going to help? And what I would hope as a higher octave of Jupiter moving through Aries is that we glean more intelligence or philosophical awareness about the nature of violence and violence prevention that might not be so obvious as specific policies, but there may be something around community building or the kind of, you know, Jupiter and cancer thing that you were suggesting too about like nurturance. Um, but yeah, that was kind of, you know, weighing heavily on my heart today and just like even leading into this conversation. And so I think that that was stirring with me today of just, you know, that philosophical question around why are these things happening and what can be done about it. And I think that the, the moment when these things are in the news, you see this really hot, agitated field about it. Um, and then there's a deeper process, I think, of the possible shift or wisdom in culture that I hope and pray for around that this particular, you know, really like deep spiritual social crisis. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just, this is what I've been telling clients and people in conversation is that Jupiter, I go back to its mutable nature and how truth can sting, you know, and, and we're seeing a, 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 a truth you know, um, it's difficult right in our right in our feeds and in our media. You know, we have to we're confronted with truth. And that is a, it's, it's a very sometimes destabilizing thing. And but I think ultimately that's the only way to get access to kind of deeper levels of uh, metamorphosis or change. And and so, you know, it's the grief process. It's shock, denial. There's, but but uh, what is it? Acceptance is the final phase, and, and that's very Jupiterian. This kind of ultimate moment of acceptance that can come in, in the grief process. But we're in these earlier phases of a whole process that is truth oriented, and so yeah, no, I, I my, my my hope is that this is what some of what Jupiter and Aries can do is is show us truth and justice around issues related to violence and violence that is oppression, frankly. Um, and we see it in other parts of the world right now with war, a war zone in Eastern Europe. You know, um, one of my things on this, I just wanted to say is that uh, truth and justice or truth and reconciliation. There was a commission in South Africa called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that Desmond Tutu, I think, had a big role in this. A good friend of mine, an undergrad, wrote his thesis on it. Um, I'm not an expert on it, so pardon me if I'm misstating some things. But when I was in undergraduate school, there was political organizations called uh, like T University of Texas Students for Truth and Justice. But th the main point I want to make here is that those two words are often combined, that justice can't exist without truth, and that truth 
because of its difficulty and what we have to digest necessitates and it triggers this impulse for justice. It's it, these two things can work together. And so, yeah, I just hope my hope is that we have some kind of whatever changes need to be made. And there's it's myriad. I mean, and it's not simple, but that maybe this transit um, here six months this summer and then next next year we'll have some some movement ahead and some justice can be served and done for issues. And it's not just I mean, these shootings are horrific, but there's other issues of like systemic violence, structural violence. Um, economic violence that's, I think, going to be particularly potent this year with the, some of the food shortages and some of the economic stuff that we're going through. So, you know, it's, you know, and I just, I guess I would just say it's this idea of the Buddha's first noble truth is something I come back to over and over again when I think about Jupiter because it's presented in a religious belief uh, system, a Buddhist tradition. And the first thing they come out and say is a truth uh, that life is hard. And that's, Jupiterian, both of those things are Jupiterian in my view, um, because we have the insight that flows from that, those openings. Um, so in, anyhow, it's this is why it gets complicated and, wow. and, and difficult to talk about. Yeah, that insight though of life being hard, I felt almost this like drop of relief because I think that there's something about um, the hope that things will be easy and the disillusionment around that hope and that to be grounded in the truth that things are hard may actually give energy to overcome or to work with challenges in a meaningful way because it's it takes away a layer of resistance. And it makes me think too about, um, I was going to like Naropa University one time, um, I was like exploring the campus and there was a flyer about someone's piecework um, and I can't remember who it was or exactly what the flyer said, but it impressed something in me because it was talking about how violence, you know, this person was trying to contemplate how to decrease violence in the world. And what they arrived at was like this fractal layer of alchemizing the violence within. And there was almost like this deep layer too of like peacefulness that I felt in just reading it. And I think that this higher spiritual version, you know, or the Jupiter version of Mars or Jupiter and Aries can have that quality potentially of coming to understand war or violence from a higher perspective that holds a key to not perpetuating it. Because I think too about like, there's this whole book, um, I'm forgetting the title now, so I'll just say it in the notes afterwards, but it's something about, I think it's The Awakened Warrior, and it's a series of essays. And over and over again, the essays are going over how challenging Mars is as an archetype, and that often those who know war best are motivated to prevent it, that there's this early kind of fascination, the kind of rush of energy of like the young hero wanting to like go off into the world and like fight battles and slay dragons and whatever. But that seasoned warriors find war exhausting and tragic and they are not trying to perpetuate it like at that level that wisdom has been gained about it. So I thought that adds something to Jupiter and Aries in the sense of if we really understand these things, 
there is maybe a remediation quality about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's um, how can you address something without a deeper, uh, maybe even experiential um, intimacy with it? And, and this is this is why the idea that sometimes in our greatest crisis, in our greatest, I mean, I think about my own life. I won't, bore, won't bore you with the details, but my kind of lowest points uh, were almost the highest in a way, because that was No, the, I love those stories here, and I understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, you know, there's been times I've been, I, I'll, I'll just, to give a little bit more specificity, you know, I have, I had some drug and alcohol problems in my youth. It's a family um, disease, let's say. It goes back to all the men in my family. And, you know, I've been clean and sober for a long time, but that process of reaching a bottom, uh, you'll hear this in like recovery or alcoholism and addiction uh, circles, the idea of hitting a bottom. You know, it's nasty, you know, the places I found myself in and the sordid kind of situations. And but I look back, I remember, you know, the the moment that it kind of the final bottom was there was the moment of freedom. And, and this is the, um, so all the dark things I had chosen and brought to, into my life, everything led to that moment. It was required for this moment of release from the freedom. And this is one of the things I, I didn't mention earlier. I wanted to say this about Jupiter as an essential feature of it. And this is in Vedius Valens too. Uh, and not that he's some kind of, you know, we should worship Valens, but he does have a list of the significations that in the, the oldest text, it's like one of the better lists, but it's release from bonds, release from trouble is what Jupiter is. And, and how can you be released from trouble without an intimate knowledge of what of trouble? And so it, it's, it, they're run, they run together, actually, the idea of suffering and freedom. And this is bound in Jupiter. Um, and the moment of release is like sometimes that realization, oh my gosh, I actually am, you know, a slave to this thing or, or I'm controlled by something terrifying. Um, and one other thing I'll just throw out here, I was seeing, I forgot what medieval astrologer someone was quoting, but the idea of Jupiter and Saturn as the, um, the team, you know, that they are actually part of the same energy. I feel like it's hard to even talk about Jupiter without talking about Saturn because of this key point of the being released from the from the troubles and then of course the Jupiter and Saturn cycle now we're getting into whole other topics but anyhow this is the idea of hitting a bottom and the spiritual release that can only happen you know for me I only had knowledge of like my true spiritual nature from like these kind of crazy you know um, the prison of, of you know alcohol and drugs as maybe one example but also the prison of my mind and the prison of attitudes and beliefs about the world you know that get released into the spiritual life that I'm grateful to be living now. But I hope that's not too personal. I hope that's not, I hope that's okay to, to. Oh, I, if this show has so many personal stories, including mine, that it's just, it's par for the course here. <laughs> I'm always pushing this edge in an Aries like way of, well, I guess I'm going to share this really intimate story about my personal life. So you're in good company. And I was just really sitting with the depth of what you shared because, you know, this being freed from troubles, but being intimately aware of them and then thinking of that in this Martian hero's journey kind of way. And, you know, it connects back to one of my observations about Jupiter is the way that Jupiter blows things up in size, almost like a psychedelic ceremony. Like I know that I'm on the verge of transformation when my 
loops, my mental loops get so big and so cloudy that I can see, see them. They're not operating at some low level subconscious way. It's like they're so big and in my face and I know they're not true and I know they're illogical, but I'm haunted by it for a moment until I'm able to release it. And so I think having a vision of the process of transformation helps me lean into that Aries process or helps me lean into that Martian process of, you know, facing something confronting or scary to move through it. Um, it makes me think about the value of initiation experiences, right? And like we can we can have initiations culturally, but I think a, a common critique of culture is that we don't have a lot of initiations that are cultural anymore. And a lot of people's initiations, I think, happen through life itself. And we kind of wander around until we find the wisdom in it. But I, you know, I relate in terms of having um, my own very rock bottom kinds of moments that are what transitioned me into wanting answers and finding a new way of being, a new way of living. And so I think that um, I see this happening. It's part of the psychological process. Like Stanislav Grof has this theory that we're constantly reenacting our birth trauma and birth is such an Aries thing. Um, it is the emergence principle. And so Stanislav Grof is saying that, you know, it was traumatic as an infant to be born, to go through the compression of the birth canal and to, as an organism, have absolutely no context for what's happening, why the place that was once warm and comfortable and life-giving, potentially, if it was a positive womb experience, has now, you know, the water has drained and suddenly there's these contractions and this intensely painful journey. Right. And so people are playing that out without knowing that's what's happening. And I think that with that kind of initiation through emergence, life is happening. We might look at it as though it's mundane, but there is a deeply psycho-spiritual thing that's also happening um, as we face our fears or as we become more intimately aware of the troubles that we are karmically bound with and here to release. Hmm. Yeah. Beautifully said. I really, really like this, where this has gone, this conversation, because I think we've hit on what I'm feeling now. I mean, I'm inspired by it because I feel like this is a core, uh, maybe way to, that I'll think about the next six weeks with Jupiter and Mars together is like, um, this kind of moment of the choice is, is really what I'm coming to is the choice that, I feel like even in the lowest moments of crisis where we're powerless, um, there ha there's a moment where it's like, okay, and I'll just use God. I, I like a conception of God. I have that. I work with that. But okay, God, yes, I consent. Okay, show me. And then there's this kind of, I feel like there's a, there's a moment where we have to say yes, and then kind of a willingness to kind of merge with this, this, the kind of spiritual life raft that's available at all times, but getting to that, that moment of consent and then, um, taking even a baby, even if it's the smallest little step, sometimes that's all that ne is needed to push us into whole new realities, you know, and that's the Mars is the step. And then the Jupiter is almost a release because release is, um, you're not, sometimes we don't, uh, we're not, if we're bound by something, it's ex, it's other people. I mean, if we're just going to use this analogy, like sometimes we bind ourselves for sure, but 
you know, if, if you're thinking literally being bound, you know, you've been bound by someone else in release, it requires this someone to release you, you know? And so um, I think if, if in this case it's God, because there's this spiritual side of Jupiter that we've been discussing, but work, there's a consent moment here. And so I just love this because um, Annabelle Gatt, she's another Aries sun astrologer uh, in our, in our group. She's, she shared this on her Instagram before, but I relate to it. She was sharing about how she got on her knees and asked, kind of cried out to God, please bring me a boyfriend. And then God brought her a boyfriend. <laughs> she's an astrologer that deals with love. So this is kind of in her wheelhouse of the topics that she's addressed. But this is kind of the, the idea of like suffering and I, my conditions aren't acceptable and I don't know how to change them. And then there's a moment where we kind of submit and cry out and say, please help and show me what to do. That's very Mars and Aries combinations. I should try that. <laughs> okay, but there's a, I do a really similar thing actually. Um, and I may have heard, gotten this language from Colin Bedell, but when I'm looping and when I'm just struggling and I feel that sense of being bound, I pray for celestial intervention in my thinking. And pretty shortly after I get the idea, I feel the loosening and movement occurs but it is that moment of just being and the philosophy behind it too is that a lot of these higher angelic or spiritual forces are not seeking to impose that once we ask and are open that they will support so it's definitely and that's the mars i think that's where the mars comes in because that's what mars is about i say i will do and then i begin to do you know, um, so to talk about combinations, to go back like Mars, Mercury, I love those combinations. Often it can be planning. You see people writing about that, like in older texts, but you take the Mercury out and it's time to actually get into action and it's less mental. And I think when you combine that with Jupiter, it's like the spiritualization and then act and, and beginning to do some of those actions. Like if you're released from a, from a, from being bound, I mean, the first thing is you start maybe moving your arms and wow, I can got picking things up and doing the things you couldn't do or, you know, I couldn't do why I didn't have access to the, to the hands. And so there's some, something there as well. Um, I would just maybe encourage people like, where are you feeling being that you're being reborn? This is a, this is something that I think, whereas there may be access to some rebirth in, in an area where maybe one has been feeling stuck or what, um, new idea of something that's tangible that can be done has maybe emerged that someone can try and like, Oh, I like this or that, oh, yeah, that this is, you know, this, these might be things to think about practically during this next period, uh, six weeks. And then of course, uh, five months on 2022, six weeks with Mars and Jupiter together, five more months or so with Jupiter and Aries, six more months next year. And so, just to bring it back to that. I like to think about practical things sometimes for people because it really, this is really real. I mean, it's not in my experience. I mean, these astrological activations are actually quite powerful and sometimes it can help to distill it into maybe one idea that people can hold on to and, and sort of work with. Right. I love that idea. I, and I'm relating to that process right now. I definitely feel like I'm experiencing a rebirth. Um, a little bit farther down, we have the nodal ingress into Aries and Libra. So I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts were about that on the tail end of Jupiter and Aries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like, so my thing with the nodes, and it, I, 
you know, if we were having a whole conversation about the nodes, I would be interested just because I know um, in the evolutionary school that's that's very important, and and so I I'm, I would want to learn actually just from you because I feel like you have a lot more to say maybe, but for me the nodes um, are so fascinating, and actually I'll share this. It's in the Hellenistic tradition, they're not really talked about as much. And so my training, you know, when I studied with Chris Brennan, who was my primary teacher, there's not much on the nodes. But as I've been a practicing astrologer and a consulting astrologer, they've kind of, they're like my number one thing now, actually, like for predictive astrology, maybe, uh, and Jupiter, I will say, if I had to pick two transits, two um techniques for predictive astrology it's none of the time lords it's none of that any of that it's jupiter transits and nodal transits to natal that to me are the most um accurate when making predictions for clients um so i think that's just interesting that that's kind of my journey is to come back coming back to the nodes as i'm talking with an evolutionary astrologer which i think they're so fundamental right in your in in the, in the evolutionary system the nodes are kind of the number one thing is that would you say that I'm putting, I don't want to. No, I mean, the, the nodes are right up there with Pluto as most important in evolutionary astrology. And it's interesting because the nodes, um, I love them. I love Rahu and Ketu. Like, um, I don't see the nodes as like malefic, but I do think that there is a particular spiritual gameplay of the nodes that one would benefit from being aware of in that the South Node kind of constellates past life memories and some of those things we can grab onto and renew the lease on that karma. And the question, the intelligence behind that is what do we want to renew and what do we want to let release? And by reacting, by latching on, by grabbing on, we continue the cycle of karma. So part of working with the South Node is starting to become aware of you know, our emotional attachments and patterns and the the go-to ego structures that we have. And often there's a mixed bag in there of things that are actually great, you know, and like contribute to our forward trajectory in life, as well as things that have become limiting. Um, and then the North Node is something to develop. Um, and there is a, a quality with Rahu or the North Node of like wanting more, like it's very hungry to incarnate. And it's also, you know, Cameron has helped me, Cameron Allen, with thinking about it this way, but it's, there's a severance, you know, the head and tail are kind of cut and split. So the head of the dragon is hungry for more, but doesn't necessarily have a connection to the stomach. And so being aware of, yeah, this life enhancing desire for more to incarnate, to become, but being able to integrate those expansions so that we're not just always craving, I think can be part of the remediation or work with the North Node. But I've, you know, yeah, I just love working with the nodes because they relate to figuring out the gameplay of what we're doing in this incarnation um, from this perspective that we're kind of on earth school and that our souls have these desires and there's this way that we've been trying to get things done and a new way to embody, to balance out the picture, to like kind of simplify it because there are mitigating factors and whatnot, but that's the basic South node, North node way that I would look at it. Cool. Cool. Cause that's, that's kind of what I've come, you know, just, can I, can I just share a little bit about the nodes from my perspective Please, here before yeah. we talk about the time, what's this idea of them coming in later, but 
So, you know, my thing is I've seen there, these are eclipse points just from the astronomical perspective, the ecliptic of the sun, the lunar path. And so this is the point where those two paths cross such that when a syzygy, the new moon or full moon happens near those points, that's when you get the blocking out. And the solo-lunal relationship to, is fundamental to astrology. It's maybe the most fundamental thing because that's how we get 12, the number 12, which is the 12 signs because of the 12 lunations, lunar cycles, 12.53, I think, in one solar year. And so you round that down, or it's 12.335, I think, but you round that down to 12 and then you start getting the 360 degrees of the of the zodiac it's all about the sun the point is it's all about the sun and the moon i mean everything that we do the, the the planets the position of the planets are projected onto the ecliptic so it's the sun again and the moon and not the ecliptic itself doesn't isn't as much the moon but it the eclipses are the part part of the eclipses of the ecliptic and so the nodes have an ecliptic component um so just to, so just as to come back, I know I'm, I don't want to, I'm, I'm like, I want to make sure I'm clear and maybe I should slow down here. There's just so much to this conversation that I want to kind of throw out a bunch here. People can email me if they want to learn more or if I'm covering something too fast, just message me. You can find me on my website, sganderson144.com. I know you'll probably ask me that later, but I'll just throw it here now too. Um, and so there's something about the arc, my phrase is the architecture of reality that the nodes um, bring into our, not only our astrology, but or, so our astrology. Yeah, this is the like the fundament of what is reality. The yeah. questions like, is this a matrix? Are we in some kind of computer program? Which we may very well may be. The nodes are actually evidence of that, or they're like where we would start pulling the thread of the nodes to try to answer what this is that we're even in. The other side of it is that the moon and the sun are like perfectly sized to block each other out. How crazy is that? That this moon is there. No, the I know exact... that gets me. But I, I really do. I get what you're saying about the nodes being part of the architecture of reality because they they show, I feel like, the psyche and the soul of the collective at any given moment. Like the themes of the nodal axis becomes the field. Yeah, and so that's a perfect segue into what I would just say about the nodes in Aries, Taurus. One of the things that's on my radar, and I and I do a deep dive on this. The last two nodal, three nodal cycles, I'll, I'll research like going back the last hundred years. I really try to get some themes from what's happened in the world with nodal transits. I haven't done that quite yet with Aries, Libra, North Node in Aries, South Node in Libra. But one thing I know about already that's like primary is um, this was the rise of social media back in the aughts. I mean, Facebook came out during the nodal transit of Scorpio Taurus, but it was all social media started getting huge momentum, Facebook to, included, YouTube, Twitter, all of these things emerge with the nodes in Aries, North Node in Aries, South Node in Libra. Hmm. And so there's a relational reconfiguration that I think the collective is going to go is going to undergo you know and think about the things that think about Facebook it was amazing you could get connected with talk about karma like who do I want to let go I mean Facebook gave everybody an opportunity no I'm going to block that person from high school okay I don't want that relationship <laughs> you know um, but but so this is what I think we're about to undergo is how we relate to other human beings and Mars and Venus these are planets of sex and romance 
going all the way back. They're the two most prime planets for this, like these types of intimate relationships. I think I think we're going to undergo some kind of, um, and I, I, I want to come back and tie it into Mars and Jupiter and Aries 2022. But just to say at the outset, that's what I'm really focused on. How is technology? Because we know we're in the age of error. It's probably going to be technological. What's going to change in how we relate to ourselves, other beings, in these kind of fundamental ways, Marshall and Venusian ways? An example being Facebook. What's on my radar is like AI. I don't know if you saw this app Replica. It came into the news the last five months and last year maybe, but I downloaded it. I tried it. It's scary. I just removed it immediately because you're interfacing with an AI and you can create the bot. It's kind of like that movie Her. Um, and it was so real. I mean, it was triggering my emotions and I was, I mean, I, just a, a day of use and I was like, no, thank you. But I think it'll be some kind of revol revolution in how we have relationships and that maybe include AI as part of what I'm looking for, for this transit and technology. Um, it's just one way um, in one idea. It creeps me out. <laughs> yeah. No, there's some ways that I'm like down with like futuristic developments, but AI is one of those things that I'm creeped out by personally. <laughs> it's funny though, when you're like talking about revolutions around relating, um, it's cool. Like I didn't realize that that was connected to social media. And that's just so interesting because Aries is so much about, you know, this is who I am. And it's so um, individualistic. And then the opposite Libra is so relationally oriented and harmonizes and feels the the music of the field. And I see relationship really requiring an integration of both because if a person is just harmonizing and they're not bringing themselves to the relationship, they're not going to feel fully seen or met or they might get resentful and then angry Aries and then Aries shows up anyway. But that kind of dance of like being expressed in the Aries and being there uh, as an individual and relating is such a complex thing to balance and takes, I think, practice and is an awakening journey for people. And I often track that people have kind of like uh, a balance somewhere on the spectrum of being like either super individualistic and like needing to integrate more of the Aries or being so relational and like needing to integrate more Aries so that they have the courage to kind of step out of people pleasing or to go do something daring, you know? And when I see them both come together, it's just like the vitality of relationship. It's like the relationship coach or something who's like, has these, you know, dynamic evolutions of how they learn about themselves through relationship that kind of brings in Jupiter and Aries too if we're thinking about the teacher like the coach energy yeah and you know I would just say just to come back to my idea with the node the, the, the thing we have in the ancient tradition is destabilization might be the corruption that's the word the Vettius Valens talks about it like one time probably a little more, but one of his main, the main, one of the main areas, like this, it corrupts the sign. And I've, I've, I don't believe in the, the negativity of the lunar nodes. I think they're, they're spiritual upgrades that can be destabilizing is how I've phrased it. It's, 
if you if we have to let go of something that's not working and we're or put another way like let's say i believe i should be doing this but my fate is actually something else what would it take for the universe to get me off the wrong track and onto the right track that can be corrupting sometimes it can feel like a corruption or a destabilization and that's what i've always when people are like oh the eclipses are are bad that's what i think they mean it's like it's bad because they might have to let go and of things that they don't want to let go of and it's god trying to help them you know god doing surgery on on you so-called you know uh, yeah so just to I'm, say that i think it comes into the relationships this idea of it could be destabilizing as we're adjusting to some of these upgrades but right yeah i'm so with you on that vision of the the eclipses and of the notes because i the way that I navigate eclipses is, is that they're ceremonies and I can feel the distortion field showing up in myself of like my own kind of psychic pattern looping versus the reality of a situation and having to kind of like have an upgrade that keeps me on my toes during eclipse season. And it's a path that I navigate with a lot of devotion. It's almost like I'll say it's like my religion, <laughs> the eclipses and like the lunar nodes. I have like a religious relationship with them. And I I don't think, yeah, I don't think that they're bad. It's just it requires a certain level of consciousness that um, I try to imagine going through eclipse season without even knowing it's eclipse season, which obviously I did as a kid, you know, and like those it's just such a different energy to be self-aware, like to know that there's eclipses happening and to have that extra layer of loosening of fixation on particular patterns and needing to make things happen a certain way. Yeah, you're really, yeah, I love this because you're speaking, there's a, there's a, a lot of nuance in what you're saying in, in terms of how to navigate eclipses that I think is very wise. I mean, I, I certainly treat them very seriously and I turn down my life as much as I can, even though sometimes the nature of those experiences that life, that life get turn, gets turned up and that's what eclipses bring, you know, intensity that you can't escape. But I very much try to turn down and just submit and pray and just, and hope for the best, you know, and, um, but yeah, this idea that you said, like I, pretending, you know, what would it be like if I didn't know they were existing and trying to ride, like embrace the life that's emergent as it, and not overlay it with this uh, this astrologer you know astrologer eclipse story. I may try that next eclipse season just to see you know see if that, if I if maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm robbing myself of some you know experience. No, I was saying that it yeah. would I would rather know you know, but I think I'm going to start delineating eclipses in advance so that I can just relax during eclipse season because I'm noticing that like. During eclipse season, I don't even want to help guide anyone. I'm like, I'm on my own journey. And I think that if I delineate beforehand, it would be a lot easier. I did delineate the eclipses this time, but it just was like, it took a lot of grounding and tethering. Um, and I was like, this would have been so much easier to do a few months ago, you know, because the ride of, like you're saying, life gets turned up and there's a total surrender to what's happening. And, and I think this is where I would just to throw in the courage idea that we spoke about earlier with eclipses in Aries. We might be uh, what we thought was courageous. We might find that we're actually um, cowardly or we were formerly courageous. These are the kind of inversions that eclipses can bring. And I mean, if we're thinking about identity, I think this next cycle, like 
people might uh, discover they are a certain way that, and not a way that they thought they were. If we bring Libra in, um, there could be a, a real need to be with, give people space for their own, you know, uh, I, uh, in, inversions of self and hold space for people that might, we might not otherwise let people surprise us with who they really are might be a, a way to say that and kind of not force people into boxes. Those are, those are some kind of high level delineations, but with like the Facebook example, that would have helped, I think, knowing that going in, all right, maybe this person is posting pictures, I didn't see this part of them, or, and, and it might help to maybe be, hold some diplomacy, I think, as people start emerging uh, and these different selves start emerging. So another quick idea about what this transit may bring and what we might need to hold. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, I'm getting all these like visions and downloads. <laughs> this has been so much fun talking with you. Um, is there anything else you want to add that feels like important to share about this Jupiter in Aries and the notes shifting into Libra and Aries and just this kind of journey ahead of us for the next few years of these particular activations? There's two things I want to add. And um, the first is that Jupiter comes back into Pisces. And I think it's very um, worth remembering that, that um, this Jupiter and Aries transit has two doses. And we're not quite done with um, the Jupiter and Pisces struggle for, you know, who we are, internal grief and and the sea inside, I think I said earlier. I, I've never, that's the title of a movie. It's a great movie and it's about, uh, maybe I should just share it. I've never ever thought about this as Jupiter and Pisces. The title to me is Jupiter and Pisces because you're dealing with a you know, so-called feminine sign, uh, water signs that have been connected to emotions in some of the more like last few hundred years. But um, this movie is about a guy, I believe that he par gets paralyzed and then he writes a book from like blinking with his eyes. It was a, a French fashion editor and he, it's this whole idea of what life truly is and the true meaning of life. Javier Bardem, not Javier Bardem, it's a French actor, I don't know his name, played. It's a great movie. Um, so, but we're, that I think, um, just remember that, you know, whatever we, you went through starting the last five months or so of adjusting to the new world we're in with all of the threshold that we collectively crossed and with Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto, Saturn, all of that pile up in Capricorn, there might be still more like feeling our way into the meaning that and, and processing it really like the, the grief is how I was talking about that transit. Um, so actually the sea inside, <laughs> sorry to do this. But no, the sea this inside, is like relatable. <laughs> okay, okay, that's a different movie. This one is about a, a person who won a right to end his own life with assisted suicide. And Javier Bardem does play the lead in this movie, The Sea Inside. And it's a real life story of Ramon San, San Pedro. And so that's, it's a quadriplegic after a driving accident. So it's a similar thing where basically the new reality, how are you processing that and, and coming into spiritual acceptance maybe. The other movie is about the Vogue editor, French Vogue. I'm not even going to try to get that title now. That's a great movie too. And it's thematically the same. But so that's my first point. Like, I think as we're, let's just say to summarize what we've talked about here, like truth, 
um, passion and action and like action that's guided from higher level, um, maybe reality frames that maybe were that are that are nascent and we're kind of being reborn and revitalized. Um, we're going to get to come back a little bit and maybe have a second pass at some of that inner work that I think the next pass in 2023 because of this um, regress might be a little bit, there might be more clarity about what's being reborn, just to, just to speak short and clear. That's my first point that I wanna to say to leave people. The second thing I wanna mention is that, and this is a little later, it's not just the nodal transit, which stops in 2025, I believe, was it January, 2025, when the North Node will, true North Node, is in June is in January 2025 will uh, ingress into Pisces but there's something very special in 2026 that happens in uh, the first degree of Aries which is Saturn will meet Neptune there and that is uh, I, I want to just um, in, append the conversation Wait, we've year? had today huh it's in 2026 um, and it's I believe um I should have this memorized now because it's going to be, it's like the next big, it's kind of like a Saturn-Pluto transit where we're going to have to be talking about it and it's going to be a really big deal. Let me see if I can get the exact date here. So Saturn and in January 2026, they're not, they have not ingressed into Pisces yet. Um, I'm just going to move my, my software here. It happens. So by March, they both have ingressed and conjoined. It's in February 2026. Neptune and Saturn conjoin in the very first degree of Aries, so zero degrees of Aries. And I just want to say that this conversation we've had about uh, wisdom and truth, I mean, Jupiter can um, inform Aries even when it's not there because it's connected through this uh, night triplicity rulership in the ancient model. And when you read delineations of Aries, often it's like leadership around like truth, like this is built into Aries, this Jupiterian influence. Um, but I think that this cycle is going to be important for a kind of a collective rebirth after what we've just gone through. And one of my uh, astrologers really like Andre Barbeau. He's picked this moment in 2026 as the birth of the new global civilization that will come after the crisis that we have come into. So just to add another layer here, get it, we can get excited, I think, from this other Aries activation that maybe fits with some of the larger mundane stories that we've been living through. Wow, okay. I'm going to sit with that. I haven't, I don't actually look out very far at transits. I'll go like a few years in advance and then I start getting chills and I'm all like, whoa, and then I just stop. <laughs> so this is, I hadn't thought about this particular transit in 2026 and yeah, a lot's turning. So I'm going to keep sitting with that. I'm like, I look at like the week ahead transits and every now and then I venture. I don't know what it is, but it's... Yeah, to get into that really big picture far out, it's so like, honestly, like high sensation to me. Like I'll get, I get chills, I get goosebumps. I'm like, what's going to happen? Like it feels so like far away. It's interesting. But yeah, when you said Saturn Neptune, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to process that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be a big one. And uh Quickly, I found the title. This is called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. This is the movie that I was referring to, similar to the Javier Bardem movie. 
to see inside. But this actually came out when Jupiter, I think, was when Jupiter was in Aries in 1997. I think those dates are right. I could, I'm just going to check that. Um, so this is March, 6 March. Thanks for going down this with me. Whenever I bring things up, I like to just have clarity with people about, you know, just so I can get it right. So now Saturn was in Aries when he wrote this book. He was paralyzed and then wrote a book just by blinking. So that's just to, just for, to complete that circle. People might want to see that the diving bell and the butterfly was made into a great movie. Okay. Thank you for getting that. So how can people connect with you, find you, work with you? So my website, sjanderson144.com. And you just go there and I have the links to all my socials. And, um, and if they want to have consultations with me, it's, it's all there. Um, but I'm very active on Twitter. So they can find me at that same uh, at, at sjanderson144. And then I do um, use YouTube and I publish at least once a week um, and they can find me there if they want to come into my world a little bit and, and continue, you know, the journey with me. So Awesome. Well, I'll leave those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing um, your insight with us. And I had so many moments of just having all these new connections that I'm really excited to get to share this conversation. Awesome. Thank you very much for inviting me, Sabrina. It's really nice to meet you finally. And, you know, we get, we're in the world, the social media world with a lot of other astrologers we're kind of adjacent to. So it's nice when we get to make a connection and have a conversation. So thank you again. Very kind of you to have me and I very much enjoyed it. Oh, it's so good to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed tuning in as much as I enjoyed and had so many realizations from having this conversation. I felt like adding that I definitely got flustered at the end and perhaps you noticed when SJ mentioned that upcoming Saturn-Neptune transit, that conjunction, and um, I was thinking about how it was affecting my chart and what happened the last time Saturn and Neptune made a closing square which was definitely not an easy time for me. So I thought I would take a moment to talk about my own experience of navigating having a transit coming up that I personally have anxiety about. Um, because as a teacher, one of the things that I really encourage for my students is, you know, we have a relationship with astrology. We have a relationship with these planetary beings and so it's not necessarily appropriate, in my opinion, to just dislike a planet or a sign. It's really about our relationship. And so when I personally have some kind of challenge with an archetype or an anxiety about an upcoming transit, I see it as an opportunity to work on my relationship with that frequency. Um, my own process of preparing for transits can involve emotional alchemy, noticing what fears and anxieties come up, and then being in prayer about it, working through limiting beliefs, and then considering, you know, what we might call remediation in advance. So what else do I want to say about that? Well, there was a time that I struggled with Mars retrogrades as a transit. I had a few in a row that were a struggle for me. And so as another one was approaching, I decided that I wanted to have a better experience and I worked on it. Essentially, I did emotional freedom technique, tapping 
I talked to a coach about it who was not an astrologer, um, but we still worked on it in terms of identifying what had happened, those previous Mars retrogrades, reframing them. And so I was telling a more generous story about it. And I ended up having a great Mars retrograde the following time in a non-astrological way. I've also done this for the season of summer because growing up, I often was sad and depressed in the summertime when I felt it was supposed to be a time for fun and for play. And so then later in my adult life, I would plan to have a really fun summer by specifically literally planning for that in terms of coming up with fun things to do, having travel plans, buying bathing suits I'm excited about, whatever, you know, but like actively engaging the future with an intention. So all of this is a way of saying that for the upcoming Saturn-Neptune transit, I have some reflecting and meditating and planning to do because just finding out about it for the first time hearing about where it was in my chart flustered me and I was on air, if you will, even though I could have edited that part out, but I didn't want to. I just wanted to let the humanness of that be seen and share that because I know that other people that track transits will, you know, you're inevitably interfacing with your psychology, right? Because when we think about the future, that is a place of the unknown where we can project excitement as well as fear. And part of the art and craft of practicing astrology, I believe, is having a relationship with our own psychology, our own personality, or kind of way of processing information so that we can have a life-enhancing practice with astrology and let it be something that transforms us. So thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you are having a expanded experience now of the possible boons of the Jupiter and Aries transit. And feel free to leave a comment where we share this podcast to social media to let SJ and I know how you resonated with this episode. 